Welcome to Blooming Out on Community Radio, WFHB. Blooming Out is a forum by and for the LGBTQ plus community. Each week we explore the issues, events pertaining to the LGBT community in Indiana, the U.S., and internationally. We speak with guests about human rights, coming out, the legality of being gay, and much more. Blooming Out is a multiple award-winning program here on Community Radio, WFHB. Thanks for listening to Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. I'm Kevin Mosenzade. And I'm Alex Ashkin. And look who we have in this studio tonight. It's Alex. <laughs> Apparently, Justin and Grant felt they had more important things to do than be with us tonight. All joking aside, we're always excited and pleased to have you in the studio, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> we're glad you're here. <laughs> if, only for one to- only, if only for a one-time gig. <laughs> um, here on Blooming Out, we have a lot of insanity to report on tonight. Much is happening in Washington, D.C. that is directly affecting our LGBTQ community. It's important to stay informed and to continue to be united as a community. I always go back to what my Aunt Carol told me after we, we won the right for marriage equality. She said, celebrate now and celebrate big because you have a heck of a fight ahead. Speaking of Washington, Kevin, how about you tell our listeners who our featured guest is? Well, thanks, Frankie. So tonight on Blooming Out, our featured guest is Liz Watson, the Democratic nominee running to represent Indiana's 9th Congressional District. Hello, Liz. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, Before we begin our interview with you, we want to start the show off by discussing a major headline out of Washington, D.C. this week and taking a minute to introduce a new segment to our show where we share coming out stories from our community. Take it away, Alex. In a speech Monday morning, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the creation of the Religious Liberty Task Force at the Justice Department. In his speech, he said that Donald Trump's election has given the right a rare opportunity to stop a dangerous movement, uh, a dangerous movement undetected by many, that is eroding religious freedom. Sessions said, we have gotten to the point where courts held that morality cannot be a basis for law, where ministers are fearful to affirm, as they understand it, holy writ from the pulpit, and where one group can actively target religious groups by labeling them a hate group on the basis of sincerely held religious beliefs. In his speech, Sessions also routinely mentioned Jack Phillips, the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, the business at the center of the recently decided Supreme Court case in which Phillips asked for a religious exemption to Colorado's anti-discrimination laws so that he may refuse service to a gay couple. Sessions said that the task force will implement Trump's executive orders on religious freedom from the from this past May that require all federal agencies to quote respect and protect the freedom of persons and organizations to engage in religious and political speech. The task force will be co-chaired by Associate Attorney Uh, excuse me, Associate Attorney General Beth Williams and Jesse Panuccio, a lawyer who fought for the supporters of Proposition 8 in California, 
a 2008 ballot initiative to ban marriage equality. During his announcement, Sessions also introduced Archbishop Joseph Kurtz at the end of his speech, who he said is an expert on these matters. Kurtz argued that anti-discrimination policies were hurting children because many states refuse to work with adoption and fostering agencies that want to ban LGBTQ parents. Kurtz said faith-based child welfare providers are being targeted for closure because of their religious convictions about the family. The number of children in need is going going up, yet in places like Illinois, Massachusetts, San Francisco, and here in D.C., service providers have a track record of excellence in recruiting and assisting foster families have been shut down. Support, supporters of the announcement uh, include, or excuse me, supports of the announcement include the Liberty Council, a Southern Law po- or Southern Poverty Law Center designated hate group. Uh, Liberty Council Chairman Matt Staver said in a statement, the establishment of a religious liberty task force is a historic and positive step by the Trump administration to protect religious freedoms and the rights of the conscience, or rights of conscience. He continued, today's announcement by the Department of Justice is encouraging, and the Trump administration is commended for making this 180-degree turn from the past administration, which used the federal government to violate religious freedoms and conscience rather than protecting our first freedom. LGBTQ advocates are worried that the task force would be used to roll back back equality. Excuse me. The Human Rights Campaign legal director, Sarah Warbello, responded to the announcement by saying, this is tax-funded task force is yet another example of the Trump, Pence, White House, and Jeff Sessions sanctioning discrimination against LGBTQ people. Over the past 18 months, Donald Trump, Mike Pence, and Jeff Sessions have engaged in brazen campaign to erode and limit the rights of LGBTQ people in the name of religion. The Attorney General, standing shoulder to shoulder this morning with an anti-LGBTQ extremist, tells you everything you need to know about what today's announcement was really about. That's exhausting, (laughs) to say the least. Um, where do we begin and where do we start this conversation at? And everybody, including yourself, is, <laughs> is welcome to jump in on this one. It's phony. It's the phony? Whole, the whole thing is, is phony. Um, these task force, you saw it when uh, they created the voting rights task force or whatever mm-hmm. they were calling it. And all that really was was smoke and mirrors. It was a way to to act like they were doing something to protect elections when really they had a different, an entirely different agenda that they were trying to hide. And with this, um, uh, this religious freedom task force, it, it just looks as if they're trying to make discrimination legal. And this is how they do it. And the unfortunate thing is with all of the other things that go on with the Trump administration and in the media and everything else, things like this fall through the cracks where mm-hmm. they, uh, mm-hmm. in other administrations, this would have been the headline. Um, on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, right? Yeah, I mean, no, this would have been bleeding out of the TV. Yes. And it's just amazing. But now we're stuck with his tweets. <laughs> well, you know, you have to wonder uh, exactly where this comes from, and you know, we are right here from 
Pence country, although the signs in <laughs> our town said fire Mike Pence, right? <laughs> right, uh, right. He failed up. Uh, and we know that he pursued a religious freedom agenda in Indiana mm -hmm. that was pretty much almost universally hated by the business community, right? Because right. discrimination is terrible for business. Uh, and then trying to take that nationwide, he had that sweeping uh, religious freedom executive order that got scuttled uh, early on. Right. And mm -hmm. that was because in you know there was a huge outcry about it, but also the thought was that that maybe was not going to be upheld in the courts. And so now they're coming back and seeing you know how else they can chip away at the rights of LGBTQ Americans and frankly at women's reproductive freedom and right uh, on and on. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it's am amazing. And people just don't get how far reaching this is. You know, it's not just about women. It's not just about the LGBT community. It's about anybody that has any kind of principle of their own religion, beliefs, or thoughts. Um, you know, I was listening to this conversation between these two individuals, um, and they were talking about, you know, when one was totally in support of this, and so it's about time, you know, that, you know, the religion's, you know, going to take center, you know, um, point at this and then the person that was talking with them said well how about that was a Muslim and your son or daughter is in school and they want and that you know want to uh, you know represent whatever and it changed and so people aren't necessarily thinking and not that uh, the you know Muslim religion is bad or anything but it's you know this filtered down one you know thought that you know if you're American you're gonna be a Christian and you have this one belief and this is how it's supposed to be and it expects if you know and even within the Christianity you know there's so many you know mm -hmm, um, beliefs mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. thoughts um, I would think that you know everybody would want to jump on this but it's you know you got to take a deep breath and I guess break it down for the American American public to understand really what this is all about. But yes, so the first ones are going to bully around is, you know, the LGBT community. Um, and, you know, people, you know, they don't have the, you know, they're not in the fight, then mm -hmm. they're going to look the other way. And that's, I guess, with most things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, you know, Kavanaugh has made clear is that he has a very expansive view of executive power. Mm -hmm. So we have to worry that any, you know, executive orders that come out of this administration, uh, that are really over an overreach and that ought to be struck down could get upheld by a court with Kavanaugh on it. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And, and that's, you know, that's frightening. And so I guess, you know, going down to a legislation, you know, side of how important it is, again, you know, to get out and vote, you know, vote. and let uh, pe people know, you know, mm -hmm. where, where we stand on this. It's going to be a fight. There's no doubt about it. Um, but we can't sit back and allow this to happen because it's mm -hmm. just ugly in every way that you look at it. Well, and I also can't help but be reminded that, uh, what, two years, three years now ago, Trump stood on a stage somewhere and said, I'm a friend of the LGBTQ community. Right. Oh, well, you know, held, I mean, well held a flag. Held a flag. Yeah. Well, and, I, then, uh, and then, you know, we had Mike Pence and people said, don't worry, Mike <laughs> Pence might be his vice president, but that doesn't mean that he's gonna, you know, do these types of things. And then here we here we are, and and we have exactly what we thought, exactly what we were warned about. Um, and I think that's also the funny thing with the Trump administration is that people were banging the drum um, throughout the entire campaign in 2016, telling us exactly what was going to happen. Uh, if this man was elected because he's a con artist and and here we are and it's all not just with the LGBTQ community but even outside of that so but what what's happening you know with like, we'll, we'll talk to the younger guys here uh, Kevin and Alex you know just within your communities as far as when you're talking to your friends and not so much your parents and you know but people at your 
you know, at your age, that what are they saying about this? Is this scaring them? Are they looking the other way and thinking, you know, it can't get worse or this can't affect us in the way that we think it might? I think personally, a lot of people sort of view this as a, or at least personally, and sort of whom I've spoken to, see this as a possible, you know, another straw on the camel's back that sort of is breaking the idea of civil discourse. It's like, well, if you sincerely believe you don't like some group and have some religious justification for it, you simply don't have to deal with them. And it's like, okay, that is a dangerous precedent, at least in my opinion. Um, I think that, you know, Kevin and I, I know we spoke about Masterpiece Cake Shop right after the decision. And, you know, that in it of itself has some justifiable reasons as to why the Supreme Court sided with it. But this task force is sort of like, okay, great, you gave us this, let's run with it. (laughs) Right. Well, thanks for that thought on that one. But don't touch your dial while we take a few minutes to enjoy some music from our featured artist this week, Tune Yards. Give me 
Welcome back. You are just listening to Heart Attack by Tune Yards from their album, I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life. So each month, we will be featuring our new series of coming out stories from, our, from around Bloomington, our state, the nation, and from around the globe. For some, coming out is simple. For others, for others, it may be a little more complex. Whatever your story is, we'd like to hear from you, our listeners. If you have an interesting or not-so-interesting story to share, please contact, contact us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. Keep an eye out for the Blooming Out team at Bloomington Pride taking place August 25th this year. We will set up, we'll be set up with a booth waiting to hear your stories. WFHB and Blooming Out presents Coming Out Stories, sharing experiences and stories of self-discovery by community members. Hi, so uh, I'm Greg from Bloomington, Indiana, originally from Pensacola, New Jersey, which is just across the river from Philadelphia. Uh, so I'm actually here at Spencer Pride because I am a volunteer with Spencer Pride. This is my third year. I, people always ask why did I volunteer for Spencer Pride instead of Bloomington Pride since I live in Bloomington. And the reason is, uh, well one, Spencer Pride's older than Bloomington Pride. Also, Spencer is a rural town in Indiana and I come from a more suburban, urban area growing up. And people often forget that Geography is a privilege as well. So growing up in um, a more urban area, things were a lot easier for me being gay, even though I did go to um, you know Catholic school and everything. Uh, so I thought my time was better spent helping a rural town, uh, basically making everybody here more tolerant. And I love what Spencer Pride does, and I love helping out with Spencer Pride. I was also a vendor at their festival three years ago too, uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, so that's how I've got started, and now I went from being a vendor to being in charge of the vendors and setting them all up. Uh, so I came out, so I'm 20, I'll be 26. I came out when I was 14, 15, uh, which whenever I told people that when I moved to Indiana, they always were shocked because most of them didn't come out until my age now when they were in college, and that was the norm. Where I'm from, the norm is early teens. Uh, so the I first came out to friends in high school, um, they were very receptive, which was really nice. But then, first family member was my mom, and I came out to her for uh, for a guy that I was seeing because he he was out to his family and he didn't like the fact that I was lying to mine. So he wanted me to come out. So I I was sort of kind of gently nudged to come out. So I did, and I was hopeful. I was like, oh, this will be fine. Like she's going to be really understanding, and it went relatively south. She started using words like, why do I think this? Why couldn't you wait until you're in college when people are more accepting? I'm scared for you, uh, which hurt. Uh, and then she said a few other things that I understand now where she was coming from, but in the moment really hurt me. Like she made a comment that, oh, well, no one in the family is going to want to have you near their children because they're going to be nervous about having someone gay around their kids. And I'm just staring at her like, what are you talking about? Um, I'm one of three. I'm the only son that my father has. And so she made a comment like, oh, your father's going to be upset because, 
you know, no one's gonna be able to pass the name on. And I was like, I can have kids. And she goes, well, you know what I mean. Uh, so that mentality and things have been slightly better with her since then. Uh, now everybody in my family knows I've brought uh, partners home for holidays and uh, being out has been relatively okay. I, I don't face too much openly open discrimination, but I am a tall cis white male. So that really does help. And I understand that. Um, so that's why I also volunteer because I know I have privilege in other assets, especially within the community. And I, I know my, having my voice heard is a little bit easier than for other people. So I try to make their stories heard too. Um, so yeah. I would say my advice with coming out, especially because how mine went, don't feel like you have to come out for anybody else but yourself. Like I, did, I didn't, in hindsight it was fine, but like I didn't come out for me, I came out for somebody else. And that sort of like stole some of the moment away, made it like not the perfect time probably that I was ready for it. So there's, there's no right or wrong for when you should come out. It's what's best for you. Um, Will you're coming out hurt people? Maybe, but at the end of the day, you need to live your truth and what's best for you, whether that is or is not coming out at the time that it is happening in your life. Um, with identity, um, I mean, again, it's it's what's best for you. Like, don't let other people scare you or force you into picking a label if you don't want to have a label or if you do want a label, pick whichever one works for you. It's, it's about making the best choice for you. Sometimes that's emotional, sometimes it's mental, sometimes it's physical. If you, if you have a voice that can be heard, if you have a certain privilege that lets you be heard more, use it. Don't wait until things start to affect you to be heard, because then it's usually too late. been listening to Coming Out Stories on Blooming Out and WFHB. You can share your coming out story by contacting bloomingout at wfhb.org or give us a call at 812-323-1200. Once again, we'd like to thank Greg for sharing his coming out story. Encourage all of our, our listeners, not all of our listeners, <laughs> if you feel like it, come out. It's time for another quick music break with our featured artist, Tune Yards, um, and uh, our weekly update. Uh, we'll be right back with our featured guest, Democrat Congressional Congress candidate, Liz Watson.
listening to blooming out here on wfhb um gonna take a look at the community calendar um on august 2nd we have your trans best friend ask me anything at the monroe county library room 1c let me be your trans best friend come drop into room 1c at the monroe county main library ask me any question or ton of questions you have about transgender and intersex people um again that's at the monroe county library room 1c um we have the bloomington watercolor society 2018 member show at volt at gallery mortgage at 121 east 6th street bloomington um annual bloomington watercolor society member show see paintings done in a variety of water-based mediums um and that is from 5 to 8 p.m on august 3rd all right, we're going to throw it back over to Blooming Out. Welcome back. You were just listening to Honesty by Tune Yards from their album, I Can Feel You Creep Into My Private Life. So our guest in studio today is Liz Watson. Liz is a Democrat running to represent Indiana's 9th Congressional District. She is a fifth-generation Hoosier and a graduate of Georgetown Law School. She served as the director of workplace justice at the National Women's Law Center, as the executive director of the Georgetown Poverty Center, and as the labor policy director for Democrats in the United States Congress. Liz announced she was running for Congress in July 2017 and convinc convincingly defeated the other Democrats she was facing in the May 8th primary, garnering nearly 70% of the vote. She will now face Republican incumbent Trey Hollingsworth in this year's midterm general election on November 6th. So, Liz, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it's great to see you again. It's, it's been great to be here. Yeah, we're happy, and we can mm -hmm. say that Liz follows through on her campaign promises because when we interviewed uh, last time, you said, you know, if you if you won, you'd be back, and look, here she here is. I am. Yeah. <laughs> there we yeah. go. One check off right there. And there uh, and kind of on that note, to, uh, before we begin with a few questions here, um, we did invite Trey Hollingsworth to come on the show, um, and we have not heard back from it's him still yet, out there so. I, I actually gave him until uh november there we go get we did give him me, until november so i so. just got a lot um, of uh interesting emails only yes. started at the beginning of the year <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we get yes. we're all about equality so um liz let's uh start off so why are you running for congress i'm running for congress because what we're seeing today uh is that there's an attack on hardworking Hoosiers. There's an attack on working families, uh, on working people across this nation. Uh, and we see that out of this Congress. You know, for 
me what I've seen in all 13 counties in the 9th district and our district is big it goes from just underneath Indianapolis all the way to the border with Louisville and of course you know Bloomington is is just one of those spots but you go to the other 12 counties and in Bloomington you know you talk to people who are suffering from opioid addiction people who can't afford to fill their prescriptions uh, people who I had this terrible conversation uh, with a man in Jeffersonville who told me about how he was negotiating with the insurance companies haggling to try to get them to cover life-saving care for his wife uh, for months and months and months and during this haggling when when the insurance companies wouldn't come through through for him his wife died yeah. and mm-hmm. so this is life or death you know and we have a Congress that doesn't care about any of this we have a carpet bagging guy from Tennessee who paid four and a half million, he and his dad, to buy our seat in Congress and proceed to rip off Hoosiers uh, every chance he gets since he's gotten here. He's already gotten his $4.5 million back through the tax cut that he passed through the Congress, uh, which gave him the single largest tax cut that went to any member of the House of Representatives. So, you know, he's broken even and he's looking to go back and double his money. I don't think that's what Congress is for. I think you're supposed to fight for people in your district and you're supposed to fight for our country. And that's what I want to do. So with so much going on with, um, and you know, just in the, the political fury of, of, of this, you know, administration and, yeah. and, and this country, where do you focus in on and how do you, you know, pull a message out that, you know, to focus on with just so much going on because it's, it's so all, it's all over the place. Yeah. Well, I mean, I take my cues from people across Southern Indiana. So we're hearing, right, that the economy is doing great. That The truth is it's doing folks who benefit from stock buy. It's doing great for folks who benefit from stock buybacks, right? It's doing great uh, for people who are in the top one one-hundredth of one percent or one-tenth, like Trey Hollingsworth. Uh, it's not doing great for real people. We know that wages have taken a nosedive. We know that uh, health care costs are actually set to spike by uh, over $2,000 uh, next year alone for folks in southern Indiana because of the efforts of this administration and Trey Hollingsworth to break the Affordable Care Act. And so when I go out across the 9th District, I talk to people who want to live dignified lives, right, who want to be treated fairly and want to get a fair shake. And, you know, whether we're talking about discrimination, which is all too rampant still across across Indiana and across America, or we're talking about uh, being able to, you know, have a decent living, save for retirement, have Medicare and Social Security that you can count on. These are things that hardworking Hoosiers need and that are under attack by Trey Hollingsworth. Trey Hollingsworth, by passing that tax cut, uh, blew a $1.5 trillion hole in the deficit. And now he's saying, oh, you know, I don't think there's going to be money for Medicare, for Social Security, uh, for the benefits that we all earned because he needed to have a $4.5 million tax cut and he needed to make sure all of his billionaire friends got that as well. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. totally unconscionable and we need to vote out guys like that. Yeah. Um, Well, I think before we ask you some more LGBTQ based questions, I wanted to ask you, so recently I've been seeing a lot of headlines about progressive Democrats running in kind of Midwestern states. Obviously, you're one of those. Um, So do you think that a progressive message for Democrats can win in these Midwestern states? And what are kind of your your views on that as the Democratic Party tries to sort that sort that thing out for them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You see all these national headlines and things like that going on. And then you're just at people's doors and at the county Mm -hmm. fairs and, you know, getting to 
pet somebody's calf and it, you know it's a mm-hmm. it, the reality is right that uh, people who deliver hope people who you know I'm very clear that I want to fight for people in our district that I want real investments to solve the opioid crisis mm-hmm. that I want an infrastructure investment that I want access to rural broadband for people in our you know so many of our communities uh, the kids can't do their homework on their Chromebooks when they get home and they can't start businesses because they don't have rural broadband. You know, I want these things for our communities. Um, and that takes investment. My family benefited from some of the smartest decisions that Congress has ever made. So my dad was the first in his family to go to college. That happened on the GI Bill. When his father died, it was Social Security survivors benefits that kept them afloat between that and my grandma's income, which wasn't a lot, you know, mm-hmm, women didn't make mm-hmm. a lot back then. Uh, and it was Medicare that paid for him to get better when he got sick. And those are the things that, those are bedrock institutions of the middle class uh, that have been built and that we need to maintain. And Trey Hollingsworth doesn't need those things, right? He can pay out of pocket for any hospital bill that he incurs. Well, my family would have gone bankrupt over that hospital bill. Trey Hollingsworth doesn't care if Social Security, you know, which is a lifeline for retirement savings for so many, is there or not, because he doesn't need it, right? Mm -hmm. We need it, and we care, and we need folks who are going to care about us. So actually, you know, the things that we need and the things that we all want, we have broad agreement about. And this idea that, you know, that running on a set of issues about fairness and dignity and equality and making sure that folks can get ahead and that we're not left further and further behind and that we have a government that works for every single one of us and not just the wealthy and well-connected, right? That That's what we all want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, I couldn't agree more. Um, so I think kind of turning the tables here. Um, so one of the big things that happened recently, some pr- Supreme Court nomination, Brett Kavanaugh, we kind of touched on it earlier. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on what you think of his appointment, um, specifically relating to the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community um, or even broader. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm very concerned about uh, the selection of Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. because, you know, he certainly has espoused a lot of very conservative viewpoints. I think we have to worry that, you know, I mentioned that he has a very expansive view of executive power. We have to worry about him using uh, religious liberty as a sword when it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be a shield from discrimination, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And those are things that could profoundly affect the LGBTQ community. So there's there's a saying, you know, your right to swing your fist stops where my nose begins. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, how we ought to think about religious freedom, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was put in place to allow uh, minority religious communities to exercise their faith, and that's a very important concept, right? right. But what we're seeing uh, out of, uh, you know, the way that the courts have whittled that down and these, you know, crazy religious freedom task forces and the rest of it and the state laws that have passed uh, really is trying to use religious freedom to discriminate. And that's the kind of thing I worry that Kavanaugh would allow to fester, Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know to take hold. So um, and certainly, if you you know look at what he said about women's health and attacks on uh, the right to the full range of women's health care services, mm-hmm. attacks on contraceptive coverage, I think we have to be very concerned there too. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, the Obergefell decision would be in serious jeopardy if he's if he's uh, put well, on the Supreme Court? 
I think that there are plenty of ways to to whittle uh, mm-hmm. to whittle down rights, and and I'm taken back to what your aunt said, right? It, this is the first step, and you're going to have to fight like heck. I'll say <laughs> just because we're on. I don't right, know if there right. are any children yeah, listening. We appreciate it. Um, but uh, you know, thanks. I, oh, um, that was a close one, uh, but. You know, you think about uh, with Obergefell, it is settled law, and mm-hmm. Gorsuch, you know, who I <laughs> also <laughs> do not support that either, uh, said very firmly in his confirmation hearing, this is settled law. That said, there are all kinds of ways to roll back right. uh, those protections through an, a, a really kind of, yeah. um, to, you know, expand. I, I say expansive, but I mean using religious freedom yeah. and, uh, as a sword rather than a shield. Yeah, well, I think we've mm-hmm. even seen that with like the Civil Rights Act and things like that, mm-hmm. where throughout the years, the small things that maybe go unnoticed by the media or other people, you know, it chips away. Um, can I can I add one yeah. more? Of course. Okay. Of course. So when we're talking Supreme Court, um, mm-hmm. so this semester I was teaching employment discrimination law at Mauer mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. You probably sometimes when we were together, I was <laughs> yeah. cramming for my class. Of course, yes. Uh, so a few car trips with some grading and yeah, three in the morning. Yes, and, yeah, absolutely. That's how it was. Um, so you know, but one thing that was really interesting is I and in, and important that's an evolving area of law right now is the treatment of sexual orientation discrimination under Title Seven right. of the Civil Rights Act, which is sex dis- the sex discrimination provision, right? Mm-hmm. So our our civil rights law doesn't yet, and I know we'll get to this, but doesn't yet uh, specifically call out uh, sexual orientation and gender identity for protection at the federal level. And so right now we have um, cases that have gone up to the federal appellate courts um, out of the Second Circuit and then Hively v. Ivy Tech, um, which was the case of an adjunct professor out of South Bend mm-hmm. um, at Ivy Tech, uh, holding that sexual orientation discrimination is indeed sex discrimination, which really I feel is the clearest case of black letter law you could possibly have because, you know, if you're saying, um, I don't, you know, I don't want to promote you because you're a woman who is dating another woman, you're saying, I don't like you because you don't conform to my idea of sex, right, of, of right. what a woman should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that form of sex discrimination was established by the Supreme Court in Pricewaterhouse v. Hopkins. Fun fact, Anne Hopkins, who sadly just passed away, is actually an IU grad. So oh, that's wow. kind of cool. Oh, but she was this um, really large and in charge, actually she was petite, but her personality was large and in charge, woman who worked at Pricewaterhouse and wanted to be promoted to partner. And they said, no, Anne, we're not going to promote you because, you know, you you walk like a man and you talk like a man and you know it's a double right, bind right, right you right. should be more feminine but also the only way you get ahead in this field is by crushing it so you know so anyways she uh her case went to the court, supreme court and they said you know if you're discriminating against someone because they don't conform to your idea about what a woman should be that's discrimination so it's so clear that that's how the court should hold but uh i think it's the 11th circuit that's gone the other way so there's a circuit split mm-hmm. and this is set to go up to the supreme court you know, I mean, there's no there's no current pending case, right. but, you know, they will eventually mm-hmm. have a case that percolates up. And I feel very concerned with this particular court about, you know, that we're about to see happen composed about what's going to happen, because this is yeah. the next really important frontier. You know, you can't get 
married on a Sunday, right, uh, and then put a picture of your spouse on your desk on a Monday and get fired. That's right. just patently unfair, mm-hmm. but we need the law to recognize that, and we're so close. Yeah, we're just mm-hmm. so close, and that's where I think a lot of people started, you know, kind of breathing. And, you know, I had my, my aunt always was like, you know, I look at everything, you know, half full and my aunt always looked at everything half empty in that sense. And, you know, said, no, don't don't breathe too much. You know, be careful. Um, you could you know, there's just a, a lot of changes that's happened. And I think we got into a environment that we felt so comfortable and we allowed this to happen. I mean, as a nation, you know, we, we, we went to sleep and mm-hmm. we woke up to the giant or the monster. I'm not going to call him a giant. Um, so I, I guess uh, on that flip side of un- for, for some of the listeners to understand how your position can really change how a court might, um, you know, change, you know, the, the, the involvement that you would have within, you know, changing the court or yeah, I think in other words, what can Congress do? Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah. What, what can so, Congress do to, to So, you know, when we're trying to advance civil rights protections, uh, there's a couple of different things, right? We can push the envelope through litigation, through the courts, and mm-hmm. trying to expand our understanding of existing law. And we see that happen all the time in various areas of law, and we're seeing it happen. We just talked about one. At the same time, we can also make unmistakably clear in federal law by having Congress pass a law that you may not discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, and that's what the Equality Act would do. So the Equality Act amends all of our civil rights titles uh, to include sexual orientation and gender identity. We can also, you know, where we're seeing a law used in ways that we never intended, that Congress did not intend, uh, Congress can step in and and say no, that's not what the law should mean, and uh, and pass a law to make that clear. So one example is the Do No Harm Act, which would clarify the Religious Freedom Restoration Act that it is not supposed to be used uh, to discriminate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. mm-hmm. Well, it's time for us to take our last music break. Please don't skip out on us. We'll be right back with the rest of our interview with our guest, Liz Watson. Sun, 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 burn down on me Atop this hill so I can see My skin boils red and scabs and stings But I must be a witness to everything Fan the fire or face the crowd California's burning down Sitting in the middle of the sixth extinction Silently suggesting the investment in a generator
Welcome back to Blooming Out. We are back with our guest, Liz Watson, the Democrat running to represent Indiana's 9th Congressional District in Congress. Um, so let's kind of pick up the conversation where we left off. Um, today I was I came across a study but done by the Human Rights Campaign, and it talked about um, the like top things that uh, LGBTQ youth were worrying about versus heterosexual youth, and there's just striking differences. So heterosexual youth were focusing on like exams and grades and college decisions and things that you would expect um, youth to focus on, and L- while LGBTQ youth were focusing on not their non-accepting families and getting bullied in school um, in the fear of uh, being out about who they are um, as a person. So Liz, um, what can be done to protect um, LGBTQ youth when it comes to our schools and just in society in general? Mm-hmm. And, and what are your thoughts on the things that you've kind of seen the Trump, Trump administration um, do in their tenor? That's a really good question. So it's so important that we act you know, very clearly and decisively to protect our kids at school. Uh, LGBTQ youth, I mean, you listed a set of concerns, but have really high rates of um, running away, homelessness, Mm -hmm. suicide. And we need to do everything we can uh, to create a climate in school that's accepting and welcoming and affirming uh, for every child. And so one thing that was really important that the last administration did was they interpreted Title IX, which is the sex discrimination in education provision. We always think girls in sports, but it's not just that. (laughs) Uh, Sex discrimination in education uh, to include sexual orientation and gender identity. And then they issued guidance on, you know, schools, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. You You have to treat kids fairly and equally and let children use whatever bathroom they choose and stop being terrible you know um Mm -hmm. basically that's you know that was sort of the guidance for the schools was here's what you're going to do we're going to make it clear the role of the agencies is to explain what the law means and Mm -hmm. they did and that was important and then one of the first things that the administration did in in a real you know, smackdown um, to civil rights uh, is that they took that guidance away. Mm-hmm. And so um, I have a trans nephew who started the school year with and and had transition right as the school year began with no protections as a result of that. So and I know I mean, I'm just one person. Right. But uh, families all across America have to worry about their kids because they're being, you know, they're being left high and dry. They're being left without uh, these assurances and protections. So that is, I think, really a terrible thing that that this administration did. And one thing I do want to point out is that we've seen a schism. Uh, and I know we talked about this when I was here before, but between uh, what the Department of Justice mm-hmm. position has been mm-hmm. and the EEOC's position. And, you know, th- there's very clearly a a difference of opinion where the EEOC has continued, for example, in the in the Title VII cases, to take the position that that uh, these employees are protected under Title VII, uh, b- but the DOJ has taken an opposing position. So you see, basically, the the two um, parts of the administration at loggerheads with each other. Mm-hmm. So, and and part of the story there is that the EEOC is an independent yeah, agency independent. and has more independence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of just keeping on, keeping on. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
So what could we do about that? Right. You asked me that question. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So that that's one of the terrible things that happened. I mean, it's like one among many, right? Yes. But, um, yeah. Uh, so a couple of pieces of legislation that would make a big difference there, um, you know, the Safe Schools Improvement Act and the Student Non-Discrimination Act, uh, and these would um, prohibit discrimination against LGBTQ students uh, and require federally funded schools to prohibit bullying and harassment on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And I, I will revisit that we know that when Betsy DeVos was asked in her uh, confirmation hearing whether she thought it was acceptable that the Lighthouse School in Bloomington uh, had a policy against allowing LGBTQ students or students with family members who were LGBTQ uh, to to enroll. You know, she seemed to think it was hunky dory. So that's who we have uh, in charge of the mm-hmm. Department of Education, and uh, you know, she's trying to gut student civil rights and gut public education as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I have one quick question for you, Liz. Um, I took a lot of uh, uh, opinions from online and from around the community. One thing that I heard a lot about was concerns about guns and gun rights. One issue in particular is uh, your stance on an assault weapons ban. Uh, I spoke to a lot of moderates, undecideds, and liberals. some are gun owners, some are not. Uh, it seemed like it was really sort of wildly unpopular that you would support something like this in such a uh, pro-gun district. Uh, do you, well, in a sense, is there a reason for this stance, or is there um, what can you say to those sort of undecided voters who might sort of see this as a line in the sand? Look, I support the Second Amendment. I grew up with right here in Bloomington with two guns in our house, uh, and I know that people have guns for hunting, for protection in a lot of our rural communities. Uh, the police station is not close, and that is how it is. I also think that we can figure out how to keep our communities safe. Um, what we know about the assault weapons ban is that during the 10 years, I want to remind you that, that we had this law in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the 10 years that it was in place, we saw a dramatic uh, you know, drop in mass shootings defined as mass shootings are shootings with over six or more mm-hmm. uh, deaths. And they plummeted. Right. So uh, we know that that happened. And we when we look at the weapons that are used in these mass shootings of our kids in school and uh, elsewhere, you know, we know that assault weapons are way more often than not uh, the the chosen, you know, the chosen weapon. And, and you do know that the assault weapons uh, ban grandfathers in whatever existing weapons people have. And this is talking about what happens going mm. forward. It's something mm. that we've had in place um, and people got to keep their guns. Right. We had it and mm-hmm. we still have a lot of guns. <laughs> right. So um, it, it's something that we know we know works, you know, and I, I want to remind you guys that 176 members of the House of Representatives have co-sponsored this legislation. Mm-hmm. So um, this is not a position that is unusual at all. This is actually mm-hmm. the majority position for Democrats. So and and most of the public supports it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we have time for one more question before we have to sign off. Yeah. So um, do you have any events or anything coming up that you wanted to let our listeners know about? 
Yeah, so we have been invited to do debates uh, with Trey Hollingsworth by WTIU, W... Um, Let's see. So well, WTIU is one. Uh, League of Women Voters is another. Physicians for a Common Sense Health Plan is another. And Black Lives Matter is another. And we've accepted all four of those invitations. My understanding is Trey Hollingsworth has not responded uh, to at least three of them. I'm not sure about the fourth, whether it's been extended yet. So uh, we will be doing all of those debates. I think there will also be some on campus uh, here in Bloomington. And I'm, I'm, I would love to have debates in all 13 counties in the district. And I've challenged Hollingsworth to do that, but he's uh, not dignifying me with a response. So uh, I hope that you will all come out when we, when we have those debates. And I invite Hollingsworth to join us as well. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Well, we're out of time. Before we go, let's take a few moments to thank our guest, Liz Watson. So thank you for uh, being here. Um, hopefully we can have uh, you back in. Um, remember to vote. Uh, yeah, November remember to, to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, again, appreciate your time. We know you have a busy schedule, and it's, uh, you know, it's important to, to have uh, folks like you on, and, and we're, we're very gracious to, to your time. Um, additional thank you to all of our listeners and volunteers who make this possible. Blooming Out is produced by Frankie Presloff. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Lucas Fisher is our engineer. Our trusted intern is Jasper Tony. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Kevin Mosenzade. I'm Alex Ashkin. I'm Frankie Presslav. And remember, if everything was straight, roller coasters would be one long, boring ride. Good night from our Blooming Out family. You've been listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. Blooming Out is a product of WFHB's News and Public Affairs Department. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. for Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs program. You can hear this and other programs online at WFHB.org. Comments and suggestions for future topics or guests can be sent to bloomingout at WFHB.org. That is blooming O-U-T at WFHB.org. And thank you for listening. Gotta be proud and I gotta remember this is what I'm about. Gotta stand up and I gotta be proud.